Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we click through the slides of hospitality on the carousel. Oh, Mad Men reference. Had to do it. Yep. Had it's to do it. It's appropriate for this week. It We've, sure uh, is. Our guest is Teresa Surratt from Camp Wanduega. She leads kind of a double owner at Camp Wanduega and then one of the top creatives at uh, Ogilvy. Yeah. She does lead a fascinating double life. It sounds like a lot of stuff going on, mm-hmm. but uh, I really appreciated her philosophy on staying curious, um, yeah. which you'll he- hear more about through the interview. I've, and, I've uh, known uh, Teresa for a few years. We've done Stock does and it was supposed to be an annual event at Camp Wanda called the Campfire Jamboree. Uh, really took, fun event. Yeah, we took a couple years off because of COVID. Um, but we had our second one this past summer and the, the idea is basically get some of the best chefs from the city to come out and cook over open fire and bar people and bar people and, uh, just kind of relax with industry friends in a camp setting and do some swimming, fishing, kickball. Yeah. Connect tennis. with nature. Yeah. Uh, just kind of refuel. Yeah. Get rejuvenated. Yeah. It's always fun to work with, uh, Teresa. We've done collaborations as well. We made some bags for Camp Wanduega uh, yeah. out of teepee canvas <laughs> so we've gotten pretty creative i've been to uh elkhorn flea with her but yeah it was, it was interesting to kind of pick her brain on the origin of camp wanda how she balances that with her career with ogilvy and uh maybe what's what's next for the camp yeah so without further ado here's our conversation with Teresa Serrat. We've got Teresa Surratt, Surratt. Yes. Not Surratt. Yeah, both. Okay. Either's good. What What's the origin of that name? Oh, gosh. Well, as my dad would have said, uh, horse thieves back in the 1700s, but <laughs> it's, it's French-German. Oh, cool. It, the, the spelling's changed a couple times. Nice. That's why no one's really particular about how it's said. Different sides of my family actually say it different ways. Yeah. And it's then, like Wandawega. Some people say Vandavega. And then you said it's Wandawega, right? Yes. David and I, to this day, pronounce it differently. So we just Oh, he says down. it differently. How does yeah. he say it? it? Well, his mother, who's Latvian, says Vandavega because they're W is a V. Yeah. yeah. And then he says Wandawega, and I say with an A. Yeah. <laughs> That's so fun. Wandawega, Wandawega. What? Yeah. Well, however you pronounce it, it's a very fun place to visit. Thank it you. is Thanks, a, uh, very yeah. fun. Stock has had the pleasure of hosting a couple events there and gotten to know Teresa through that. So we're excited to have her in the studio and hear more about how she's gotten to where she's at. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted to do a place like that and then the right place came along or... Yes, crazy. I get asked that all the time, and it's always like, absolutely not. We had no idea. It it literally fell into our laps. More, more so mine, I guess. David had been going there since he was a kid. He grew up there because his mother is a Latvian refugee. Wow. And the, at the time, in 1961, the Catholic Church owned it, and they were using it as a retirement community for, for uh, Latvian priests. But what happened? Well, these, these Latvian families started coming there with... They left everything behind, so they just take over these rooms, families of five, and those, you know, those little bitty rooms we have in the bunkhouse? Mm-hmm. There'd be a whole family staying in there. So David just Whoa. grew up going there, summers with mom, and dad would drive in on the weekends. So, so how far was yeah. he traveling? Where did he grow up? David, I mean, he's a Chicago kid. So oh, okay. he was, in he's always been, yeah, yeah. So he's been Lincoln Square. Oh. So yeah, we didn't have any sort of a vision. It, honestly, David just grew up there, told the priest, Someday, you know, when you're nine, you always envision, you know, (laughs) where I want to live when I grow up. So he told the priest, if you ever want to sell it, call me. So, you know, fast forward 40 years and the priest did. So they weren't, it wasn't like listed publicly. It was the priest called David Direct. He did. And then he listed it publicly. So then we still had (laughs) to to, drive up the price. You know, it's a church. You got to support. They actually (laughs) took the, they took the money and um, built a monastery. In oh. Latvia. So, yeah, it went to a Oh, good in cost. Latvia. Yeah. And we, we still haven't been to see it. But, yeah, hmm. he called him and said, I'm ready now. You know, of course, Dave is no longer a nine-year-old. Uh, <laughs> and they'd had a couple of conversations. So, yeah, yeah it was good. And so it was, it was really accidental. Wow. It, we just wanted to save it from the wrecking ball. It was a... And how long did the two of you deliberate? From the time that he told me, yeah, you know, he tricked me into it. We show up, you guys, this place is like Blair Witch. <laughs> now, you can't even imagine. For so many years, I didn't ever share photos because it'd be like people would be so scared to come to this place. It was, you know, roofs missing, windows gone. Was the, it overgrown? Did you have to clear stuff? Oh my god, I'm gonna show you before it photos. Um, there were 
we stopped counting at like 16 broken down cars piled up in the field, you know, where we play oh, wow. field sports. Yeah. Um, it was like a hoarding den. It was crazy. How'd you clear all that stuff? Years. It was crazy. Oh, man. Dump trucks. How many years from when you took it over officially to when you first had, you know, not people in your inner circle, but actual paying guests. Yeah. Paying guests. You know, we had, David said he wanted to buy it. I was like, no way. We bought it anyway. And he's like, let's get married here. Uh-huh. We were already engaged. And I was like, there was just no chance. It's like the opposite of any girl's dream is to be married at a place that looked like this. <laughs> I was so scared. But when I realized he was serious, and of course I loved him, I'm like, all right, we'll figure this out. So what we did is we got married there six months later. But I'm talking semi-trucks of shit that we pulled out. Yeah. And then we locked every door in every building. We put up this beautiful Sperry tent in the middle of the field. And it was like blinders to where no one like, divert your eyes to yeah. like, what's going on over here? Um, and then I'd say by the time we let it, let folks start actually coming, holding any sort of retreats or events, it was years because it was just our Like five playground. years, three years? Probably five. Yeah. I mean, before that we had like our friends, they were all artists and musicians. They would come cause they would help us. Yeah. We had this thing called the Talka, which is Latvian for a work party. And it's what it sounds like. It's a work party. But you give anybody enough beer and they'll help you glaze windows and dig dentures. Wow, that's so cool. It was fun. I mean, that's how it started. It was just all of our friends that were coming. And then we did art camp and we did a band camp and all this stuff. We were just making shit up. We are just kids. I think a good takeaway for anyone listening is that it took a long time. I mean, that these kinds <laughs> yeah. of projects, it's not like you just snapped your fingers and the yeah. next day you had a Wanda Wiga. You, you know, took significant effort over many years and did it at, you know, a pace that suited your schedule to get it to happen. Yeah. Everyone wants overnight success. We've had it for yeah. 18 years. Wow. I mean, and so, but we didn't in fairness have any intentions of turning it into Tim. I think I told you this once or twice. It's like, we didn't think it was going to be a business and yeah. we didn't have any intention of trying to turn it into any kind of a brand. Even now it sounds like a fancy word. Yeah. yeah. Brand but it. what was the logic of buying it? If not to one day, to save it. What, yes. Oh, I that, see. hundred percent. Right. We're just preservation. It, it like broke our hearts to imagine who would have bought it and bulldozed these hundred year old buildings oh. that were intact. Uh, they hadn't been bastardized over the years and yeah. that was what was going to happen. It would either be that or subdivided. So, um, because David and I are big historical preservationists, like he's on the Frank Lloyd Wright Preservation Trust and I've done Illinois landmarks with him. And in general, you know, we've moved the half a dozen buildings there now to just save him from getting bulldozed. We just wanted to do that. And then we just wanted to have parties. It's, like yeah. there was no yeah. plan. If you build it, they will come. And we didn't even, like, who's the they? It was just friends and family, mm-hmm. you know? And so, but to go back to what you just said, it was so organic. We cannot take any credit for having any sort of a strategy or plan. People just started saying, hey, can I come too? We're like, sure. Hey, can we have a band camp? And then someone said, can I get married there? And it's like, hell no. Yeah. No, we can't do that because it's not nice enough. It's not pretty <laughs> enough. And so we did it anyway. And then that turns into brands who wanted to do shoots. And then magazines want to do shoots. And then all of a sudden you've got big brands that want to come do retreats. And then it just kind of organically happens. But that's how the the manifesto of low expectations was born too. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> polished at this point. Like it's beautiful. and but it's, but it's at the same time, it's not. Like you guys really yeah. embrace the rustic nature of no, it. No. Well, but it's not like you go there and you're like, what did I get? You know, it's not like this Blair Witch scenario today. It's <laughs> right. Comparatively speaking, right. No, but it's yeah. like a beautiful, you could tell a bunch of work was put into it um, to give that kind of rustic aesthetic. Yeah, it's it's beautifully curated rustic. Exactly. And you're, But you're also like a master picker. Allie, oh, that's my, can I have a t-shirt that says that? Master, master picker. picker. Sure. I get one of those for my son as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For my five-year-old son. <laughs> master right? nose picker. Yeah. Master picker. <laughs> it gives many, many meanings. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, both. It's so that the manifesto low expectations really, I mean, you've seen it for years, but it, it really sets the table that says, regardless of what travel and leisure and fedors and Condé Nast say, you're still an eighth of a star. So get ready because your back's going to hurt sleeping on a cot like you did. Yeah, and I think you guys exaggerate that like in the in the messaging or the like on the website. It's a lot more comfortable than you make it think make make it seem, but I think that's maybe to set the stage so people, you know, you're kind of under-promising. I mean, yeah. It's like honestly, someone we did an interview and someone said oh, that's a great strategy. I'm like, "No, it's vulnerability. It's admitting 
you know, what you know that you lack, especially when you compare us to like those fancy glamping resorts that are I opening think, up like next door, mm-hmm. every, everywhere. You can't throw a stick and I hit one. So we just wanted to honestly not disappoint people. So we're like, hey guys, yeah. this is really built for like campers. And we really support other venues that are built for more glamping people that people are going to, I mean, shit, we didn't even give people a key to their door. I yeah. mean, when you show up, you, there's it's yeah. very communal. And it, so it's helped us. But the biggest thing that we didn't plan for is by being super honest with folks, is by the time they show up, they're just so happy to have like a flushing toilet. <laughs> they're like, this is great. You know, things that you come to expect, yeah. they're like, oh, okay. They and show it, up bringing like their whole car packed like they're going to stay for a month to stay yeah. for two days because they're like, <laughs> we are not ready. And they're yeah. like, oh, wait, it's actually better than I thought. So it helps. Yeah. yeah. Have people approached you to do the same thing a bunch in, a, in different places? Yeah. But it's never, uh, it's never a fit, you know? And also we're not, our aspirations aren't to try to, I don't know, chain this thing out, especially with like a campground, you know, yeah. like, the, like those big campgrounds that they have like KOAs and stuff. There's been all kinds of, you know, water parks and all kinds of things. And we're like, yeah, no, because we, it's one place with one really a unique history that can't be replicated and it's not about jumping on a trend of like heritage brand and filling a space with like antique photos all we do is curate the story of who was there before us it's really it and yeah we add things on like the canteen is different than it was but it was there in the 20s yeah you know it just looked a little different but we just try hard to go hard on the details to research it properly and then bring it back. And then we add in new things like the Hill House is new, the Sycamore House Artist Cabin's new. And so for those, they present a different opportunity to evolve into aesthetically something that's more our personal style, like yeah. we live in the city. Those houses are beautiful. Mm-hmm. I was like totally blown away when I walked into, I forgot. Probably Hill House. Yeah. Oh, Hill, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just like, very cool. whoa. It's a dream home scenario. We did <laughs> yeah, that kitchen really for was. chefs. That's yeah, funny. it's yeah. so cool. And it's funny, though, because people, and you see this, a lot of folks, the chefs want to still cook down in the old lodge kitchen because it's closer. Chefs just want to be in the middle when they come to camp. They don't want to be off in a corner. You know, yeah. Hill House is like, you know, 80 feet away. That's a long hike when everybody's like congregating around, you know, the core of the old lodge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you're always adding things on, but there's always a layer of authenticity. How do you do your research to make sure you're you're keeping things authentic or local? Oh, my God, there's so much. I mean, we could talk for an hour about that. I would <laughs> love to, actually. So, I mean, the history part, when the state of Wisconsin came out and, and brought all those researchers for like six months, they brought these people in and all they did was like research microfiche. And there's a, there's a ton of articles about Wanda during prohibition because so much crazy shit went down there. Um, when they started uncovering that, then the next step was they took it to the, the, the national register of historic places that really sort of kicked it off for us. And David and I were like, ah, oh, there's actually a lot here. So then from that, we just kept going. And then, so every design decision that we make, we try to be authentic to even the people that make the things, you know, like the blind and the wrath scalers made by Zwick, which is a blind company. That's like a hundred, do you know Zwick? No. They're like 120 no. years old. You guys, they have dead stock in their basement. They can find things with like poles and embroidery that no one else can. Mm-hmm. And people all over the world use them as a source. And they're right here in Chicago. Those are the nuggets. Yeah. Uh, every room you walk into and give you a story like that, no one's ever going to know 99% of what's underneath it. But David and I are going to keep it forever. So we just, you know, keep trying to stay true to the... You said you're not going to keep it forever? We are. Oh, yeah. We're you going are, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're for sure. like 110 and like walkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think about at what point you make the full move up there? Oh, gosh. You know, if it was up to David, we would have already moved. Yeah. He well, their the... forever house in this city is very cool, too. Oh, gosh. Never seen it. It was fun. Well, you must follow them on Instagram. Teresa <laughs> posted about it last week. <laughs> but it was designed by Jeannie Gang. It's it's cool. Yeah, she's a force. Like, talk about a talent. Yeah. I mean, you know, she comes to camp every year and does her creative retreat, except for a short hiatus for uh, COVID times. Um, every year for years. And we obviously got to know them when she did our house in Chicago, but we came to them. We had like five cents, you guys. We had no money. We were kids. We're like, she wasn't this star architect that she is now, but she'd done some big, you know, projects. So we said, we'll let you do whatever you want. We'll be your best creative clients, but we only have like two nickels to rub together. (laughs) So she took the project because she had just designed this facade 
for a children's museum that they, the budget somehow went away. So she's like, okay, I'll do this, but I, I need to build this facade because at the time it had never been done. And even now it's not been done quite like she did it the first time. So we did it and they stuck with us. And I think that's a testament to being a good client because she just used us as a case study. And now yeah. we're just dear friends with her and Mark, her partner. And so, yeah, that's fun. So that facade in front of the house, the brick, that was originally for a children's museum. Yeah. Hmm. Um, wow. it's, it's called the brick weave. It's crazy. Like that house, I've never said this on it publicly, but you guys are going to know now because it's been years. Um, we built that house. It was an 1880s horse stable. So she went with a footprint because, you know, in the city of Chicago, you can't really expand beyond your mm -hmm. footprint when it breaks um, uh, traditional lot sizes. So it's like a lot and a half wide. It goes all the way up to the street. She used that footprint, called it a restoration, took us two and a half years to build it. David and I were living in his parents' basement in his high school bedroom for two years, <laughs> saving our money to build it. And it's like Ikea and concrete floors because we had like no money. Anyway, she, she ended up building it for the, for the cost of an average condo, hmm. not wow. even like a nice condo, like an average city, you know, condo. Wow. So, but we, that's why it took us so long. And she where was, is it? It's a, a Grand Endayment. It's on Race Avenue. Oh, cool. So then the crazy thing is it ends up on the cover of Dwell in like architectural record home of the year and like all these crazy things. And I think, again, it's a testament. You don't need a lot of money. You just need vision or to partner with someone who's got vision and be really resourceful and that's kind of what we do at camp we do everything with like a shoestring y'all yeah we don't we do everything with like flea markets um so that that was a fun project that was years ago i mean that, you know what we started construction on the house when we bought wanda Wega. oh wow okay so i'm like 31 years old and I'm like, whoa, what? We didn't have our daughter yet, though, so we had some more time. Yeah, but also like out. you had time, like you're willing to stay in your in your husband's, you know, high school bedroom for two and a half years. Yeah. You found someone who was willing to work with you. On, I mean, there were a lot of things that converged to make that very cool thing happen. It seems like you know what I remember most about living in. First of all, my mother and father-in-law are amazing. That they tolerated. It was one of those Chicago bungalows that had yeah. the apartment downstairs, so we had our own entrance, but really it was just a room. He still had the posters up from like I guess it would have been the eighties. Do you remember the Budweiser girls? They're mm -hmm. in the three matching swimsuits, <laughs> and I had like the Budweiser like, and then he had like. Did like, he take them down once you got down there? He had social no, distortion he posters. <laughs> uh, no, we lived with them because they're hilarious. Yeah. Actually, they're probably collector's issues uh <laughs> it, we just embraced it like we're in their house we didn't decorate it we thought we'd be there for like six months two oh and, my years God. Two and a half years that's a major build out going that's... back to what you said about time nothing yeah. happens overnight yeah you know i mean maybe it does if you have unlimited funds no but i think that's like the challenge when people think about you know building their dream home or whatever it's like the trade-off is that you need somewhere to be while that is happening and that's why, you know, naturally when you sell a house, people want to find a house that's, that doesn't need work because they don't, they mm -hmm. can't, they don't want to spend any time between homes moving all your stuff. Like, it's just, right. it's something you can do when you don't have like kids and you have, the, like you ha believed in it enough where the sacrifice is going to be worth it. But people, yeah, are more impatient or just, uh, the logistics of everyday life are so difficult to overcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But not everybody's is. Maybe picky is not the right word, but like That's right intentional. Word. Yeah. Picky is a good word too. Yeah. But like, you, you know, if you've got, <laughs> Master you've got I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. the king of like not having the budget for my taste and it forces you to be thrifty and like, I, I don't like to, I can't go into like a, a, a curated showroom and throw down for mid-century modern furniture, but mm -hmm. I love the hunt and picking things and, you know, going to people's basements and seeing things and mm -hmm. looking in a barn. Like it's the hunt that's as rewarding as the for find. Sure. Yeah. Like, your living room slays me. I just saw this photo you posted the other day. It's so beautiful. Didn't I also get... It's didn't a, we get a lot that of Craigslist knot? on there. In for there. sure. The Boy Scout knots. Wasn't that for me? Oh, yeah. Do you see we put that in the treehouse? I did see that in the treehouse, yeah. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, that Teresa's a bought pick. a few things from us for uh, for camp. And when we're, we're out pinky, we're always like, well, here's a here's a Wanda thing. Like, did you get a text from me? It's, it's such a specific uh, aesthetic. For sure. Yeah. And you've, uh, so we've actually been to the Elkhorn Flea with you as well. Um, do you do most of your picking for camp at, in local yeah, spots? Yeah, you know, we try. I got to travel a lot um, for work. So I, I end up, whatever country I'm in, a production, I try to find the flea market first and then work my production calendar to where I can add a day before or a day after. But then I found that the stuff that I was getting, it wasn't 
the true vernacular for camp because it wasn't local. So we started bringing that stuff back to Chicago so I could kind of, this sounds anal because it is, <laughs> pure. We wanted to keep it pure at camp. Like mm-hmm. what would have been here in the 1920s through the, like we tried to stop around the 60s, maybe the 70s. As we get older, you know, we can push that decade a little bit more. Mm-hmm. What are the objects? What are the textiles? All that. So we do a pick a good bit there. But, you know, honestly, I'm like you. Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. Mm-hmm. My favorite still is barn sales and yard sales. Yeah. Like, literally, when you were driving up. There is not a church basement sale that I can drive by. Mm-hmm. I have to go. Yeah, I'm the same so You're way. constantly working on it. Yeah. Yeah, do you guys have, like, a... Where do you store everything? Do you have a warehouse or extra oh storage? God, you guys, I know you have 25 acres to store I'm in, stuff. I'm in, like, it's saying this out loud. Uh, David, you're going to have to listen to this because I'm going to say it out loud now. David has storage lockers. And we debate <laughs> this all the time. They're, like, off-site. We have a couple of them because we have so many different... Like, we just moved the two new cabins, but we have to buy the stuff for it to outfit them. We've got the new gear house, which was going to be for gear, and now it's turning into a you know house project. So yeah, we have to have a lot of stuff to pull from. So offsite, we got a couple storage things. Um, but the Amish right now are building. What day is today? In the next week, they should move. We have two small buildings that they're moving. Um, we use these guys in the North Woods, and they're storage buildings, but they're just really beautiful cedar, small. They'll just. You could design anything on a napkin and they'll build it for you in the right proportions. Wow. So we have two of those getting built. So hmm. then some stuff will transfer. And then we just have to also weed on occasion. We'll give stuff away, you know, mm-hmm. if it doesn't fit someplace. So you're building more spaces to stay on property. These two, the Amish are building, are going to be for off-season storage. But they're going to look it. like little cabins. Okay. Joiner's podcast is brought to you by Party Can. Party Can is a premium batched, large format, full flavored cocktail that uses high end liquor, real juice, real ingredients. It's all natural, gluten free. It's 12 drinks in a single can. And guess what? That can actually floats. You can take it to the beach, the pool, on the boat, camping, hiking, to the game, everywhere you go. It is recyclable and reusable. It's a party in a can and everyone's invited. Party Can is available at multiple retailers around Chicago, around the country, and you can always go to drinkpartycan.com to find a local store or have one shipped to you or a friend. And now, back to our interview. Do you like the capacity of this of Wanda now, or do you want it to be, you know, be able to have more people? Like, what is the full capacity? Is like it sleeps like 56 is that right well that's what we say yeah but honestly if you did you know the butts and beds you could sleep 75 yeah but we never run it to that and that includes mm-hmm. sycamore house hill house uh the new rustic um camping cluster so we try to keep it you know comfortably under 60 so that you know if people are spread out a bit but we can do more like we have 25 acres so we still have some cabins that we can build we just haven't done it yet. You know, we're taking our time. Do you want to or no? Like, yeah, they're coming. Okay. Like the two, you, you see the two log cabins we just moved, those little ones, mm-hmm. Girl Scout cabins. So those are the this year's off-season project where we're storing those. They're 100 years old. They're from a Girl Scout camp up the road. Those are fun to move. Yeah. And by fun, painful, <laughs> expensive, <laughs> and stressful. Uh, Worth yeah. it. Yeah, right. It always is in the end. You just can't think about it when you're in the middle of it. And then we have two more that yeah. we could build on the property. Let's actually, what is the most like surprisingly costly task that you've encountered with Wanawiga? Oh my God. That's an easy one that no one will ever tell you. And you only know by learning the hard way. The Hill House was a 1930s house and it was just a neighbor's house, but it was connected to our land. It was tiny and we um, thought we could just fix it up. So we bought it. We ended up having to jack up that whole house, raise it out of the ground, like 10 feet out of the ground, remove the whole foundation, rebuild the foundation, drop it back down to increase the height and then rebuild the house. Oh my it cost God. twice as much as building a new oh house from God. scratch. It was crazy. And that was the beginning of and the hidden just, cost. You were so far in that you couldn't, oh, you couldn't. change your mind. And it, it cost as much just to do that invisible work as it did to do the rest of the project. It was nuts. Wow. Um, so that's one. But, no, that's, but, that's, but yeah, like you said, you forget about it after it's done. You're like, well, we're not going anywhere. We're not going to sell it. We're not here to flip it. So you just eat it. <clears throat> you learn from it and you move on. Yeah. I think that mentality, like, that mentality is maybe just difficult for me to wrap my mind around, but a place that you're never like looking to 
cell or what you know like a forever place yeah. is such a wild concept to me it's funny you just asked that i put this out of my mind because <laughs> yeah. you need to when you go through <laughs> the house in chicago the 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 genie house we those two nickels one of those nickels went to the foundation because that was a horse stable built in the 1880s when they built it we discovered when we were you know raising the foundation it was built on a sand foundation so you had to do like these big steel beams to protect the structural integrity of the neighbor's house on both sides oh, so we man. had to raise it build another same thing Wow. Build that foundation. You gotta do this twice. Invisible work. That's why you have to be like, I'm in this forever. So your investment is a life investment that you leave to your kids. Yeah. That's why I keep telling myself that so I can just not choke on how much it actually costs. <laughs> so do you think Charlie will take over Wanda Wagon, carry on the tradition? Yeah, you know, she's she just turned twelve, you guys, a couple wow. days ago. So that's a big question for a twelve year old. Do you want to <laughs> <That> is, <laughs> yeah. I need you to Are sign you this document. Yeah. yeah. Make her sign it, yeah. I mean if I mean, we, we will be around for a while, so we'll ask her that question again when she's out of college. Yeah. So you and David met at Ogilvy, correct? Yeah. No. Gosh. Um, before that, there was a little agency called Leap Partnership, and they had they had Anheuser Busch, and they did Nike and Playboy. It was a really hot little design shop, ad shop in the city. You know with the Goliaths of the DDB Needham and the Jay Walters and the Ogilvies. So David was there, and then I interviewed. I was like 26 years old. And mm-hmm. I walked into to my job interview with my boss, who's still my boss today. And David walks in, and um, I was all dressed up, you know, for my job interview. I was like 26 and scared of my own shadow. And this guy walks in, and I remember thinking, who is this guy walking into my interview? And it was David. <laughs> and... Uh, he, he leaves, and I ended up taking the job. And my boss, who is still my boss today, told me, like, years later, he said, you know, that first day when you walked in, David said, who was that? You know, who's this girl that you just brought in? He's like, oh, I'm just interviewing her. It's your future wife. That's <laughs> a joke. And, of course, here we are 25 years later. Wow. So David and I worked there together for a while. I left, went to Ogilvy. How and, long until you started dating? Oh, gosh. A few months. Second day. A few, yeah. We wanted to. He had a girlfriend. I had a boyfriend for seven years. Whoa. And I, as soon as David asked me out on a date, I called my boyfriend. He was living in another. He was living downstate, and I broke up with him on the phone. Wow. I was like, this is it. This is. I knew it sounds crazy. You hear that? But I did know. Wow. I was like, I'm not going to wow. screw this up. I'm going to call Dennis and be done with it. I didn't even say his name anymore. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. wow. It's Sorry, a lifetime. Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did that little firm get acquired by Ogilvy eventually? How are you still working for... They, I left and went to um, Ogilvy after about a year of being there. And then um, they ended up selling the agency off. It got acquired by another firm. David opened his own agency uh, with a couple of buddies called the Royal Order. And then they all moved. David then came to Ogilvy, was running the Royal Order, and was um, uh, like a creative lead for the agency. Ogilvy ended up buying Royal Order... One big family, the same guy that hired me and David ends up running Ogilvy. Now he runs, he's the um, co-CCO for the Globe. And um, I'm still there 25 years later. David left and now he's taken a, a global role in the client side, building a small agency inside a, a big brand. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm, it's, it's, it's a, that's the very shorthand version. Yeah. But the point is, I think we've spent our lives together, working together in every capacity, obviously as parents and running Wanda but also in a big agency environment. All those years when he was at Ogilvy for 15 years almost. Um, pitching together, sometimes co-running business. So I think that's what makes it work at, at Wanduega because we, you know, we're used to it. Yeah. yeah. How similar is your experience to Mad Men? Oh, I, you guys are obsessed with Mad Men. Aren't you? <laughs> I know this about you. Yeah. Our, uh, our producer is now, he just had a kid and he's spending the early weeks watching Mad Men. Oh, Megan, you didn't tell me that. He's reading the book. Oh, so amazing. We've got yeah. him on it too. Um. You know, David Ogilvy, who's the founder, has mentioned a few times in that yeah. series because he was one of the original. Yeah, I read his didn't, book. Yeah, didn't he write Which that one? book that Mad Men's um, based on, like that one of the influences? He's written a few. Um, you know, Confessions of it. Yeah, yeah that's the one, yeah. Confessions, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's an icon. I mean, it's, it's granted that was written in another era, so there are certain aspects of his opinion in the society we are in that could be dated now. So <laughs> yeah. We don't quote everything. Definitely, yeah. But, <laughs> Possibly, I mean, yeah. He's brilliant. Yeah. And that show's brilliant. Can I just say, you guys will get this. 
I became obsessed with that show when you noticed the art direction and the set design. You open a drawer, and that drawer doesn't just have the apple in it. It's got the apple pre-steroids, you know. they got the apple that's, like, tiny, like they had in the 60s. Yeah, and it's got mm-hmm. the right pencils. And it's everything crazy. is so dialed in. Oh, yeah, Every insane. scene. Do you ever watch it and just, like, watch it again? Yeah. It's so I've well it done. Three times? Four yeah. Times. I'm it's on my like, second time, yeah. It's it's also, um, a single man, Tom Ford. Do you ever watch that movie? Uh, no, I didn't, but... You need to. Okay. Because you get the same vibes. Like, when everything is so um, thoughtful, and everything is intentional, and everything is research, and everything builds to a collective story. Is that Colin Firth in the... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I did see you that. Must... I, I, it was recommended to me just on the house in the movie. They're like, you for gotta sure. watch this movie for this house. Did you watch it? I did, but yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I even finished it. I think I just watched for you the house. You don't need the audio even just to watch <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. No, it's good. Wow. So managing really two lives, I mean, even though they're both creative, how... Yeah, it seems very I, overwhelming. Yeah, how do you manage your time? Every time I see you, I'm like, hey, are you, like if we're at camp, I'm like, are you going to be here for dinner? You're like, I don't know. I have a meeting in the city. I have to go to this thing up in uh, Wisconsin. I'll, I'm going to try to be back here by dinner time. How do you... Yeah. You're, you're always on the move. How do you manage your time? Not well, as you've seen. <laughs> you know, I so never, you never well. And anybody tells you they got this balance thing figured out, just lying. Um, <clears throat> I think about, like, I think it was a, a David Sedaris book when he talked about this analogy of the four burners. Have you guys heard this? Mm. They say if, like, everyone's life is, like, the old school, you know, burners, and you can turn the flame up on all four, but not all at the same time, because you can't run efficiently in all four. So one represents, I think it's career, one is um, home life, one is social life, one's health. And so you can focus on any one of those at any time and go like full height, all of your time and attention. One of the other ones is going to be off or really low. So you can Mm. never run on all of them at the same time. And I like, I think that's true. You just can't do it all right all the time. And for me, I do most things like half-assed most of the time. But it's like, what do you have time at any given time to take in, you know? Mm -hmm. And and what's important at the time? There's a... um, a woman who really was, I, I think, responsible for so much of Ogilvy's success and legacy. Her name is Shelley Lazarus, and she's in all kinds of advertising hall of fames and books and all that. She answered the question you just gave me with something that I live by, and actually, I think that most of my friends juggle a lot of things. You guys probably do it too. Is like, she said, you have infinite capacity for the things that you love. So you have kids. No one ever asked you, how do you make time for your kids? You make time for your kids because you love them and, you know, and you love what you do. So you make time for that, you Mm -hmm. know, no matter what it is. You You just figure it out and it never becomes a chore. You just have to, um, I think, accept that sometimes some of those burners are going to be broken. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they're going to run. It changes every week and sometimes every day. Yeah. David Sedaris. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One of my favorite authors. Do you work like Monday through Friday and then do kind of wander away uh, on the weekends like how does it it's so blended okay like we did this project and moved to london for a month and it was 16 hour days literally for a month and there was no time to do anything did your like, daughter go to london no i got her a ticket but did then the last second she couldn't come because it was like weird covid times we didn't want her to get stuck there so i didn't get to see her that was hard but I think um, mm. what I generally do is, like, I get up at 3.30. I'm doing Wanda Wake things until I have to bring her to school at 8. And then it's work, you know, during the day. But um, it always blends. I'm going to be in production for work at different times. And sometimes those are weekends or sometimes they're late evenings. Does it depend on the client that you're working with? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes, like, crunch time. Sometimes it's... Yeah. Sometimes you're in a pitch and you don't even get to go home. This podcast is brought to you by Geneva. Danny, what is Geneva? Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked. Geneva is a European spirit with a wide range of flavors and lots of personality. It always uses malt spirit and juniper and other botanicals, so some would place it somewhere between gin and whiskey. It can be floral and bright like gin or round and malty like whiskey. Whatever your preference, there's a Geneva out there for you. Even me? Even you, Tim. This campaign is financed with aid from the European Union. With Ogilvy, how does that work? How are you assigned to things? Are, are I have a lot of questions about the ad world, actually. Yeah. But um, do you do you pick your projects, or is it like this is right up Teresa's alley? Or I mean, you're senior at this point, but how how does it typically work? 
I think after being there for so many years, I'm, I'm pulled in. Usually it's something based and experiential. So for a long while, um, before it became really blended, I uh, was a director of this service offering called Experiential. And now it's like the way that our agency works and most is that you tell stories for a brand through every channel and medium. So in the old days, it was print TV, then it's print TV, out of home, social radio, digital, and, and it oh and gosh, every application. Yeah. Experiential is just one more way to tell that story. So if it was pop-ups or um, anything that involves having people step into your brand and experience with all of your senses, that's the largest definition of it. So I get, I get brought in um, whether we're doing a pitch to sort of develop work for that or to run the client's um, projects where they, they want to do something special. But I mean, sometimes they get a pick, but usually they already come to me based on what I've been focusing on for so many years. Yeah. Um, what, what are the media outlets you're focused on now? I mean, all of it there. It's like, that isn't, that used to be a question we would ask 10 years ago. And mm -hmm. I feel like now it's like, there is no channel that we don't communicate in any platform that can tell a story does and is. I mean, so a lot of our clients, as you guys have seen, are shifting everywhere to TikTok is a major channel. Mm -hmm. um, experiential, immersive experiences. Uh, it's funny, like, and it really varies by client and product, but sometimes the old school channels like TV are still relevant if you're doing Super Bowl, it is, but mm -hmm. the buys are being spent different places now. Um, we're using um, a lot more influencers, um, I'd say. So, Again, it's funny. It's like you can answer that question for every client. It's going to be different, different degrees. Yeah. But there's just so much more opportunity than there used to be. I wish I could tell you more about the specifics. Uh, it's okay. But everything in the big agency world is also under NDAs. So I, yeah, I always I see. have to. Got it. So at a, how don't we measure say, yeah, how don't we say measure the year KPIs, or the month the that this happened. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, those are good questions. And that is the, the kind of thing that we have to think about um, for each client. Every, what does success look like? That's the first question we ask. So understand the business objectives, the product you're selling. But what do you really want the consumer to do? How do you want them to behave? If you're consumer packaged goods, you're going to say, I want my product to obviously sell or you're driving trial because they don't know who your brand is. I think the principles underneath all of that are something that Dave and I have always applied even to Wondawega in a different way. What do you want? What's success look like? Yeah. How do you want that consumer to feel in this case? It's a guest or a group. What story are you telling? How do you tell that story? How do you reach them in a different way? And then you're always looking at your competitive landscape. In our case at Wondawega, it's the 20 that I get hit with a stick, you know, when I went through, they just opened <laughs> yeah. in the last 24 months. What's your differentiating factor? You know, what are your distinctive assets? What, how's your story different yeah. for us? We had the benefit of not having to make up a story because we've been there for a hundred years, and the stories already are inherent to the place. And all we do is we're a receptacle to tell those stories. So all the new people that come in, like stock or any chef event or groups that come in, we um, we just like to think of them as like building onto this chapter of the story of a place that David and I are innkeepers at. You know, we're caregivers for it, and our goal really is to make sure that even after we're gone, it goes into someone else's hands that can write the next chapter yeah. hopefully that's our daughter but she's 12 again yeah. she's not ready to start running it yet what yeah. is she like what are the kind of things that she has shown aptitude for like aesthetics i would assume yeah you know what's crazy at a young age because we have been taking her to david's on the board for frank lloyd wright preservation trust so we hit a lot of frank lloyd wright houses and so you can actually rent a lot on airbnb yeah it's, it's kind of amazing and they're really affordable. So we have been taking her from a very young age to Frank houses. And so she knows design. She knows mid-century modern. She can tell you the difference from a Victorian chair to mid-century modern chair. She knows basics and architecture. Um, we brought her to Sicily a couple of weeks ago and I was so impressed because it was, she wasn't even 12 yet. And she um, understands materials and use. And I think because we have architecture retreats and artist, you know, camps and things like that. It's funny. You can't underestimate how much these kids absorb it at a young age. You know, what, what they're around our, our friends. And so I think that as of now, I don't know what her career is going to be, but if you asked her, she said she'd want to be an architect or an interior designer. That's cool. That's it exactly is. what I would have said. Architect. <laughs> at that age. Yeah. Yeah. Veterinarian and architect. Those are my first two. Or both. Things and I do neither. You design your own <laughs> Well, you have dogs. I do have dogs. And you pay attention and to them. And I am the architect of clothing, I suppose. Yeah. Build um, some stuff. Have you guys, have you heard of Manitoga? This house, it was owned by um, 
Russell Wright, the industrial designer. Um, oh. It's in Phillipstown, New York. Shannon yes. and I were there last month. Um, yeah. You guys would really dig this. I'm going to turn my cool. ringer off, but I'm bringing it up as you're talking. Cool. Did you guys go? Yeah. And you guys have to check this out. It's very, um, it's this quarry that um, he and his wife bought, and they lived in this little tiny cabin on the property for like 16 years before they built the house. Uh-huh. And they converted the quarry into like a swimming pool with a, uh, there's like a, uh, waterfall that flows into it. It's really, really cool. Uh, the cool idea is they lived there for 16 years as they were kind of figuring out what to build. Yeah, exactly. That's yes. That reminded me of how you were talking about how you guys took it slow at the beginning with Wanda Wega, and um, you have to kind of learn the landscape before you know how to develop it. And, totally. Um, but, I've hmm. seen this. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Next Does, time you guys are in New York, it's worth the looking drive. At these. Doesn't it make you guys just want to like go build some modernist glass, Barnsworth-esque house someplace like yeah. on it? It does. It's all I think about. And when Shannon's bringing home all this furniture and stuff, she's she's decorating houses we don't own. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Shannon, you got to like, slow down. That's why we love her. Don't slow down. <laughs> she's going to manifest a glass house in the woods for you guys by doing that, I promise. Surely she won't. She's, yeah. just, she's already got it furnished. I have no doubt, yeah. <laughs> That's the hard part is the furnishing. The hard part's affording it. Yeah. All New the build. above. I don't know. I see the new Dwell prefabs are coming out with. They've been really dialing in prefabs. Oh, really? Over COVID, I feel like there's a lot of companies that have come up with... It started with like the backyard offices so people could work from home. It'd be separate. There's so many different companies that are doing it now. And Dwell just launched a new one. I mean, you have to helicopter it in and drop it down, but there's different versions. That's cool. It it is cool. On that trip, we stayed at this place called Innis in Ackard, New York. Mm -hmm. You know this place? It's um, Scandinavian inspired. It's, uh, It's like like 400 acres or something this guy bought a golf course and then built these little scandinavian cabins oh my God. and uh that's just i went down a rabbit hole and you you can go on etsy and see you can buy the plans for these little okay i like want to go down that homes. rabbit hole will it's you send me cool. a link to like I, I you know there's certain people you meet and you're like whatever your vacation was and the places that you hit i want that you know travel itinerary yeah, exactly. so our friends uh cody hudson and Lori. <clears throat> they do that. And whenever she puts together, and Joey Stevenson, whenever they put together their vacation plans, they hit the best, most beautiful art directed, curated architecture, history sort of vibe. And in my next life, I guess I'll make time to hit them all. But that sounds like a good one. Yeah. That, the Manitoba was a tip from Elliot Bergman. Like, oh, yeah, nice. we're always asking people for tips on places before we travel. Yeah. Word of mouth is like, the best way to learn about Jason Lula was just sending me with Sicily, like all of these links for all these places to go. I'm like, dude, we would have to go for six months to be able to hit all <laughs> the places you're sending me. But they're beautiful. And you do listen to your friends, people mm-hmm. that you you trust their Yeah, I've always been design. shy to ask you about stuff. Like, we drive up to Shannon's dad lives up on Lake Superior uh-huh. in um, Ashland, Wisconsin. And we'd go up there every summer. And I'm like, I should ask Teresa I what spots to hit. You. But I'm like, I don't know if these are, like, hidden gems that she doesn't want to reveal. No, uh, no, I'd love to that. do that. No, <laughs> okay. uh, uh, there's no hidden. I always feel like, you know, share yeah. all the time. I have an itinerary I'll send you. Cool. I think I did a post on it once. It was like COVID times when you had time to actually travel and can work from home. I made a yeah. whole Wait, um, well, Google list of uh, all the supper clubs in Wisconsin that I'll share with you, too. It's it's really just mostly the book that I got. at um, The supper club book. Yeah. You yeah. probably have a book. Yeah. We did um, a supper club at the Soho House with Land and Sea. And so they had like all of their chefs from all of the restaurants at the time come in and do different courses. Oh, that's cool. But we turned the the Soho house, um, in, into one big supper club. So I was doing, as you can imagine, like a deep dive research mm-hmm. into like every single piece. Cause I wanted the custom napkins and mints and matchbooks and ashtrays and glasses. Everything was custom made for that. Mm-hmm. Um, relish. Tra- I still have like 40 relish trays. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a staple. You gotta have it. Yes. But it, that was really fun. I have that book. It's a good one. Yeah. Ishnal is the best. Ishnal is the very best. It is right. Yeah. Except here's my one caveat. What? The parking lot. I know. That's the first thing you see. I mean, you, I know. it's so romantic. You drive through the woods <clears throat> and then it opens up into like four parking lots. I know. And then you go through and then it's beautiful and charming. You're on the lake and stuff. I know. But that's just a testament to how popular it is. Is it year it is. round? No. It's May to October. Yeah. Got we it. need we need to plan a, an event there. They can hold a lot of people. <laughs> are there like. supper clubs that are year round? like 250 or something, I think. Yeah. 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 They got a lot of seats. Um, and every seat has a view of the lake, which is cool. It's beautiful. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Traditionally, supper clubs are, I mean, you did the deep dive too. It's like family owned. Um, a lot of times the families live there. 
And then it seems like after they see a little bit of success, they move off site but nearby, and then the chef will move in. And they usually live like above the dining room. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess a big hit to the supper club scene was when they cracked down on drunk driving, because you'd go there and you spend right. all afternoon and evening. You'd have you know, ten brandy old fashions, and then kind of <laughs> saunter home. <laughs> so they cracked down on that, so people are spending less time there. But usually you'd check in if you were staying there. Sometimes there were accommodations. You would check in at the bar. You'd place your order for dinner, and then when a table would open up, you'd be taking your table. And they'd already have your order, and you'd just be sitting at the bar waiting for your table to open up. Sounds drinks. pretty ideal. Yeah, it's like a it's it's like a no frill country club, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, that's a great summary. Yeah. And it was it was a community. It was like they mm-hmm. were there were clubs, so people would go very early, and then they would plan on spending their time there. Mm-hmm. They would spend on spending an entire afternoon on Saturday or Sunday. So Wanda had a version of that um, back in the '40s up until it closed in the 1961. And it was called the dining hall. And the dining hall were the guests that were staying there, so they would get lunch and dinner typically. And then they would come, they would stay for a week at a time. And it was served very communal. But there was a bar in the back, which is what we brought back, Orphan Annie's, which is just mm. this tiny little, humble little... Was, I mean, you probably saw it. Yeah, it's cool. And then <clears throat> what we did now is we brought all of the tables back that we found all over camp. We found in the basements and the attics. <clears throat> and so now we have pop-up dinners there. And, of course, we had to go hard on all the details, so you had to get the the glasses and the matchbooks and all the details of the supper clubs with a, with a humility. They used to have these silk or nylon or something, like cheap fabric red carnations and these cheap red glasses. And, like, mm-hmm. all, I love the humility of the yeah. Midwestern supper club when they were trying hard to be as fancy as they could, but they were yeah. very blue-collar. And there was this little... There's a little space in the middle when you are true to the type of people that came to Wonderbeg at that era when it was open. It was it was never fancy. It was for the it was the best that people could do for the for that time and where they were. Um, and that's why we kept so many other details at camp. Next time you come over, I'll walk you around. Well, we've kept some of the Congolium and some of the repairs that show the different architectural vernacular, different eras of people doing their best to DIY and repair things in the 30s and in the 40s and the 50s. And you, you keep that because it tells the story of the place and the people that came there rather than just like ripping everything up and doing refinishing the floors and picking a paint color that's on the Pantone trend. It... Um, it's temporary, and it, it's not it's not going to sustain. So I think we always run the filter of timely and timeless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think people appreciate history more than they used to. Yeah. Wanda has a very storied history, and I know you've talked about it ad nauseum at this point, but do you, could you go into some of the gnarly details of the humble beginnings of the camp and kind of the scofflaws who inhabited oh it? Scofflaws is such a good word. <laughs> I, was, I was so happy to see when y'all opened up that name is so good. Um, I mean, <clears throat> it was it was built by this architect in 1925, a Chicago guy that adopted a, a 16-year-old Swedish immigrant orphan. Her name was Anna. And then mysteriously, this architect's wife died a year later he builds this prohibition era you know he called it a resort at the time on this little lake in wisconsin called lake wandavega and um then his daughter a few years later comes up and starts running it as a brothel so there's all these crazy articles about uh in these different papers saying that she ran it as a house of ill repute (laughs) and a body house of ill fame like these crazy names (laughs) and it, it wasn't uncommon at the time in the U.S. anywhere, and especially during the Depression when a lot of women just didn't have a lot of other options. And so they were running liquor, and that's how we ended up with those trapdoors. And all these things that he designed in the space was designed with intent for how it was going to be used as a business. Interesting. So, you know, we're on the end of a dead-end road at Lake Wondawig in this tiny little lake, and there's nothing around us but farmland on two-thirds of it. And so it's always been that way. So it was kind of the perfect... Um, set of circumstances to build a place like that. And so, you know, flash forward decades at a time, you always sort of drew a certain crowd. The only time it was ever legit, I think, is in the 19, after the Madam Anna Peck went to prison for running the Bowdy House of Ill Fame and oh, wow. all of the liquor that they found hidden in the upright baby grand pianos and in the trapdoors and all that. She goes to prison. Then a um, Polish family in Chicago ends up buying it and making a proper run at a, at a resort. And I love the old brochures from this era. They talk about um, all the special 
recipes in Polish cooking. They made all these different dishes and they were doing it for the dining hall. And then um, that was legit for a while until 1961 when the church bought it. And so when the Catholic Archdiocese bought it to be this retirement community for Latvian priests, then started the next era where they left behind all the seedy underbelly, the things that had happened before, which was crazy shit, murder-suicides back in the 40s, tons of arrests all the time. I mean, it's got a... um, I hate to glamorize it because it sounds like, you know, people tell old stories about organized crime in the era, and there was a lot of that there. Yeah. It was it was just rough. People are doing the best that they could. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to look back now at things that happened 80 years ago and, and glamorize it. But I think that um, the more we're there, the more we uncover, the more neighbors and different people bring us little pieces of history that we help to use to continue to tell the story. We just came out with a podcast called American Getaway, and it's just six chapters yeah. that tell the story of American Getaway. And uh, Austin Salisbury is the guy that wrote the little history book on it, and then he narrates it. So we have that now for guests to sort of learn about each chapter. And right now we're the current chapter, not the last chapter, and what we're doing with it. That's cool. It is cool. American Getaway. American Getaway. Yeah. Yeah, we'll post about it. Um, it's cool that you're you're spending so much time looking at the history while you're also creating the history for future in real time. Like you guys are, I mean, someday somebody will tell your story of how you ran this place and brought it back. And Maybe think Charlie will, our daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she's that interested. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it's also about evolving. You know, yeah. you can't just tell the stories of the past, like what's next. Like um, as we just did the Sycamore House, we're looking at another property, knock on wood, that I'm not going to go into yet, but it, it, they're all extensions of camp. Mm-hmm. And then how do we take new each new place that either a building that we move or a space that we're going to acquire, and what do you do with it that can further the experience for people that come? And it's fun. It's fun to look at, like, what's next. Like, we're looking at this crazy modernist barrel sauna with, like, this smoked glass dome that we want to build in this, you know, deck in the middle of the woods overlooking the lake, you know? That has cool. nothing to do with Prohibition, 1920s yeah. Wisconsin. But it's fun. Well, it's and, a barrel. Yeah, right? Yeah, right? Is it, Yeah, there's the link. This is stretch, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> um, so you guys have become kind of a haven for creatives. Who's your ideal um, camper, and who's maybe someone who wouldn't necessarily do well at camp? What's okay. the archetype? Um, honestly, the stock group, you guys, they're your ideal camper because most of the folks that we get are used to staying at five stars and they travel all over the world and they stay at beautiful spaces, but they also have an appreciation for history, design, and culture. It's that. So then they're high-low people. They're going to, you know, they can drive like a crazy expensive European car, but they might also not be afraid to hit up like a charity thrift store. So appreciation for both. I think aesthetically that's one of the spectrum. And I think that people, most importantly, that are like creative, liberal, like to experience different things. Um, we we spend about 20, we're about 25% of our of our usage at camp is now just for that. It's like we want to do art camp and kids camp and things that we used to do more of in the very, very beginning before we charged a dime to anybody. Mm-hmm. We would just donate camp to causes. So that's our mission moving into next year. We want to like do to a lot more. programming that's like scheduled specifically for? Give the camp away to cause-based groups. Cool. I mean, full stop. So yeah, we, we're going to have new programming too, but we, what we really love to do the most is let charity groups and organizations um, that have missions aligned with our own just use it. And so we're trying to do more, increase the, um, the amount of days that we donate to that and also the frequency. So, cause we're really only open six months out of the year. And so how do we have more purpose-driven use of the space. That's why our artists in residency is working um, and growing. And so we're going to blow that out too. But I think to answer the other part of your question, the people that don't, you know, really mm-hmm. fit. And I'm going to say it this way. People that won't like us. <laughs> people <laughs> are going to hate it. That's what our manifesto low expectation is. You know? <laughs> it's like I give them all the reasons of why they're going to hate it. And they, if they get halfway through it and they still want to come, then there are kind of people. Because it means they're not going to be high maintenance. They won't care if they don't have a key to get in. Um, they're not expecting someone to like open a bar and cater to them. We don't have a concierge. We have no one to answer the phone. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like it's very DIY. So that's really our our, our vibe that of, of folks that we um, 
we make friends with and, you know, end up lifelong friends with a lot of them. Like some of our best friends are our guests, past guests. It's just very communal. Yeah. And you've drawn, were you guys the first people to live? I know like Cody's got a place up there, Joey. Yeah. Pete like people are moving Tolson, up there too. Jake from Threadless. And um, like we've got community. about 16 friends now that have bought on Wondebega or like Cody's writing store. Um, you guys have first Jim writer and refusal. Heidi from Field Notes, they just bought this insane house, like at Stone's Throw away. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of people there, and yeah, we were the first ones, to, crazy enough to I think do it. But um, I think what's special about it is such a tiny lake. There's only 35 houses on that lake. Mm-hmm. The rest of it's in conservancy model. So a lot of our friends either bought on the lake or directly off. And um, you know, like any sort of a creative community that grows. Um, and the more people move there, the more people want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. And so I love that our friends can canoe over and we can have a bonfire. <laughs> we can like, you know, house hop and go to other people's backyards. And I think that that's what we're here for. That's what retirement looks like for David and I. We talk about it. Yeah. yeah. That's all your best friends on the same lake canoeing over for parties. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> pretty <laughs> ideal. That's, that's how I fantasize about retirement. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. Yeah, we'll move into the gratuity round. Yeah. You ready for I'm scared. The, uh, the I don't even know what this round. is. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, Teresa, what's your death row meal? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a really hard one. Um, <laughs> elegant farmer pie. I was going to say Chick-fil-A nuggets, but I can't because I have, I'm have. i so torn with who they are as a company yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Elegant farmer pie. You got to separate the chicken from the politics. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. So what's Wait, our, what, what was, was your answer? Elegant farmer pie. Apple pie. Okay, Best pie cool. in America, right down the road from camp. Oh, That's my okay. favorite. Never gets old. I'll All pick right. one up next time. Yeah. You have to. Favorite hidden gem restaurant? Well, it's not a hidden gem because it's Lula. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it is my favorite. No, very... it's not hidden. Oh, okay. I'm going to I'm gonna take it close. Well, it's favorite, Lula. Uh, close to camp, um, Holy Cannoli. Holy Cannoli? Yeah. No one listening to this will have ever heard of it. Mm, huh. It's an Italian family from Chicago that opened it uh, several years back and it, all the chefs are from Chicago. It's amazing. Wow. I love the name. I say Holy Cannoli all the you time. You do. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. pretty funny. Good answer. I'm going to check that out. great food. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, you may have already answered this one, but favorite fast food. Is that Chick-fil-A? I did. God, yeah. I need to change that though because that's, um, that's yeah. the wrong. I should admit that. Six days a week. Uh, <laughs> and your order is the nuggets. All right. Yep. What's the strangest booking request you've received at Camp Wondawega? I don't even know. The strangest booking, like for a group or an individual. Yeah, either yeah. way, yeah. I have to think. Oh, what would make well, it strange? I know. Well, there was uh, there was a group that oh. wanted to come and shoot a Desperate Housewives episode there. Oh. We didn't do it, obviously, hmm. for all the reasons. Um, but that one was pretty weird. Oh, there was another one. It was a tattoo show. It was like a pretty hardcore sort of a biker gang thing. They wanted to come shoot an episode. So it's a, a lot of the weird requests we get are for actually doing shoots and yeah. filming. So, yeah. Do I you, think, yeah. I remember, what's the reasoning for turning down a sh- just because you feel like they'll mess with the camp? Like what's... If, I'm not into reality TV, you know? I think the Desperate High Sweat, no disrespect to who they are. I don't yeah, know I any don't, of them, yeah. but it's not a vibe that it's like, it, they have different, uh, I don't know, audience? How do I say that? Yeah, no, I... How do you guys feel wait, about it? Are you fans? Is this Desperate no, Housewives not... or Real Housewives? I don't even know. They're the well, same Well, Desperate Housewives was a scripted oh, no, show. no, real. It was real. It was the reality show. Okay, got you it. You guys, I yeah. haven't seen either of them ever. Yeah, I have and I not... take pride in that. I'm... I just know peripherally from People Magazine covers and the Inquirer. I, I have not seen either either. Oh, but you know what they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm it just curious, desperate. like, if someone's like... Hey, I mean... Who knows? I, I think it's cool to be able to like turn down stuff that you just don't support or don't like. Um, but just from like, again, I think the hard thing for me is that all this like scofflaw groups of business. So it's like an inquiry comes in. They're like, it's like, 
I mean, unfortunately, or whatever, it just is what it is, like very transactional. Like someone wants the space, they're paying this money, like they're not going to mess with the space. They're responsible for whatever damages. You're like, cool. Yeah, I know there's a business thing. You know what? I mean, it's a good question too, because we get, uh, we get, we've had groups here that are not aligned with our values and we just don't take them. And that's the benefit of being privately owned. You can just decline. And it is, it does mean turning away a lot of revenue. And sometimes we do it because we feel like whatever is about to be shared socially that comes out of hosting something like that, that lives forever. I see. So it affects the brand of it. Yeah. Cause imagine you're tagged in a bunch of stuff that happens. Yeah. For us, it's like someone will shoot inside of it, but it's not, they're not like saying it's Scafa, just it's a bar right. in a show. Right. It doesn't affect what we're doing. Yeah. But that's just us specifically. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, look, there's there's stranger ones, but that was the one that was like, oh, gosh, yeah. I just don't know. There is nothing real about Real Housewives. That's what it was. I yeah. saw them filming mm-hmm. at Wiener Circle one time, and they were like, the women were fighting. And they're like, wait, 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 we're not rolling. We're not rolling. So they had to like sit back down. Oh and then they're like, okay. And then they kind of stood up and started fighting again. There's it so is many so things scripted. wrong with that, though. Yeah. Like women were fighting. Not people. Humans mm-hmm. were fighting. And they wanted to roll on it. So imagine that happening at stock. They wanted to shoot at your place. They uh, wanted to shoot at Scott yeah. Fly. What would you guys do? I don't care how much money they have. You just yeah. don't do it. Yeah. yeah, I also went to a live filming of uh, Jerry Springer because my roommate in college. Oh, <laughs> this is a fun, fun one. Uh, my roommate in college was an intern at Jerry Springer, and it was his job to like entertain the guests. Oh my! So gosh. he would take around like prostitutes and stuff, and like Mm-mm. and Johns, and and he they'd go like bowling and stuff, and he like entertain them in Chicago. They'd go out to eat and stuff. And I went to the taping of one of the shows. <laughs> this is an insane and like, job. Yeah, it, it was it was crazy. He did it for a full semester. And um, and they have a bell. So when we went and we sat in the studio audience, <laughs> it was freshman year, um, they have a bell oh on God. set that they would ring. And when that bell rings, the people start fighting on stage. Shut so it is like up. very, very me? scripted. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's a so, whole world. Yeah. I've never, okay, that's crazy. It's crazy. And I'm and glad he was the I didn't know that. Yeah. For the guests. Jerry Springer's not running anymore, is it? Cue no. the fist fight. Yeah, Cue that's the hair awful. pulling. I mean, that was like the original reality show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess it was, right? Yep. God. All right, next question here. <laughs> Teresa, what's your favorite spirit to drink? Oh, you know what? I'm embarrassed to say this, guys. I can't drink any spirits. I have That's like okay. an allergy. Yeah, no worries. I got to make up something else. No, it's okay. What's your favorite thing? I mean, I could say, oh, gosh, it's crazy too because we host a lot of liquor brands at camp, so I should make something up, but I just don't. No, you it's know? cool. Um, I don't know. Like any drink? Yeah, what are your favorite flavors? Do you like a, a savory drink, a uh, refreshing? Oh, gosh. Danny's going to design a mocktail for you. Are you? <clears throat> I like. I like old school beers, and I know the Sun of Spirit or a drink or a cocktail, but like our beer van at camp yep. is like PBR cool. Miller High Life and all of that. Yep. And I like it, won't be surprised to hear this because it just fits. You come, you want to crack open a really cheap Wisconsin beer. It's like a vibe. So, yeah. because we don't have, um, you know, really cocktails at camp, I would say, what would people drink if they come? They like gimlets and things like that. I think people like to have old fashions. Yeah. Um, I personally drink pretty much anything that's like, got a bubble in it just because that's what I can drink now. Yeah. Have you ever had anybody on here that's an alcohol allergy like me? No, um, but uh, no. no, well, we've had JC's people who don't drink. Yeah. NA. Not to call them out, but yeah. <laughs> not to people. call out Jonathan's very <laughs> yeah. he doesn't drink. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was going to be way more delicate. There's, it, there's no stigma <laughs> attached to that. I, I don't think. Yeah, I guess if he's saying it on the sh- he's yeah. comfortable with other people knowing. Uh, but David's a fan. My husband, he loves any any good whiskey. So whenever people bring us gift bottles, he's the guy. He collects a small stash in the basement. Cool. So next time you guys are over, I'll show you where it's at. Next to all the Prohibition <laughs> booze that you guys it have is. uncovered. It's a Rathskeller down there. Wow. Actually, it's not just the camps for Rathskeller. It's behind that. David used to call it the potato cellar when he was little, and now it actually So do you guys, un- you had, you found actual Prohibition era bottles when... They weren't like filled. We just found a lot of trash bottles. But yeah, were and some they, of them filled, or no. some of them had Mm-mm. some stuff in them? Mm-mm. This is Danny's version yeah. of picking, right? <laughs> yeah, it used to be. Now it's impossible to do. But yeah. yeah, yeah. You read about them. Like yeah. I just saw one the other day in like Buzzfeed or something, with someone was taking the foundation out of their house from the twenties, and somebody had stashed a whole prohibition row of like oh, liquor. Man, that's it was awesome. Beautiful labels. It was great. That's it was some cool. high schooler's stash. That's probably worth uh-huh. a lot of money. <laughs> 
I'm sure. Yeah, it's crazy, the market for it. All right, I think I might know the answer to this one, but what trivia category would you dominate? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I oh, will be ad campaigns. I was going to yeah. say, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wisconsin Maybe. Cabots and Supper Maybe. Clubs. Yes, yeah. it, would be, it would be that. Or something really specific like Southern Wisconsin <laughs> Prohibition Era Lodges. Yeah. Uh, to what do you attribute your success? It's crazy success as, you know, how do you define that as like mom is, you know, like which, yeah. which job I guess, I guess you know, your the day success job is and... balancing a, a million things that all are very cool and seem fulfilling for you. Yeah. You know what? Um, curiosity I'll always, you know, I, I get so excited. I wake up at three thirty every day, and I'm so excited to work on different projects. And I think that having a place like camp gives me the chance to, you know, make things and do things. And it's like this testing ground to launch things. And the under the spectrum, you know, the day job at Ogilvy also gives me different opportunities. So I think success is about having the opportunity to surround yourself with other creative people and having an outlet to be able to make things that get paid for, you know. By a That's, client at Ogilvy yeah. or, you know, a, from our our salaries through Wanduega. So I think success is just having a an, an outlet. That's a great answer, yeah. And then last question. What's something that bars or restaurants do that annoy you? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Put their parking lots right in front. No. Yeah. Oh. Um, when they get a host or hostess that really... It's just having a bad day and, and they yeah. have room for you and then they just will not give you even a space yeah anywhere. that's brutal yeah when they use it as a power trip yeah that's i think power trips is a good general that is a good one answer. it hasn't come up yeah oh really yeah. yeah it's a good one well you guys probably don't experience it because everybody knows you in every bar no but i mean that's like stuff we pay a lot of attention to that's good you should yeah because you know there's the... we'd like to think our our people don't do that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah um, danny but... what's the host and hostess training like at scofflaw i think it's just, just... Ge- like very general ethos of the company is just being warm and hospitable and genuinely kind and interested um, being curious about people as they come in the door and just like, how are you? You know, just mm-hmm. not just like, yeah, it's what the first impression. Yeah, it's, exactly. I think that genuine curiosity to tie to what Teresa just said as well is important. Great. Well, that's never happened to me as Kafla. Very yeah, good. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> not yet. Right. Yeah. Wait till I'm working the door. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let him in. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Teresa. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is yeah. fun, you guys. Yeah. Thank you. And that concludes our conversation with Teresa Surratt. Thanks so much for listening. And remember to check us out on Instagram at JoinersPod for exclusive content, including weekly throwback photos of our guests, as well as cocktails designed by none other than Danny Shapiro. Woo-woo! Each cocktail is based on the tastes of our guests and will soon be in video format. That's true. And if you have extra time, feel free to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Currently... We are still taking positive reviews. Positive only reviews. Positive only. Negative reviews. <laughs> There's another place for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, this episode was produced by Matt Haddock. And music by Captain Cuts. Thanks for listening. See you next week.